It's often a bit mystifying how brands magically go viral overnight. Sometimes they make it big, and other times they crash and burn. Is the road to brand fame and a bump to the bottom line worth the risk? I'm Alexis. And I'm Melissa. And we're just a little obsessed with these marketing moments. So join us as we break down the craziest brand stunts, from how the idea sparked to how the heck they pulled it off. Or didn't. And of course, will it stick? Hey, Alexis. Hey, Melissa. Excuse the background noise and or echo. We are super momming it today. It's a Sunday. We are recording. We're drinking frozen greyhounds out of juice boxes. (laughs) We're also (laughs) side-eyeing our kids in the pool. Like, so they're like to our right. We're counting heads like every 30 seconds. I mean, they all can swim fine. But and we have like a fancier setup. <laughs> Melissa like made I some ambiance here. We got a fancy little rug. You've got fur. <laughs> I mean, whenever we record at your mom's house, there's always fur. Remember the fur carpet in the back oh, yeah. in like the closet, <laughs> the shag. Oh. So I mean, we're just we're doing what we got to do. We're doing what we got to do. Speaking though of these munchkins that we have swimming, just remember back when they were babies. Did you, like, block that time? The twins, I probably did. But Caden, no. He was such... He was so cool. Yeah. He was, like, the funnest little babe. Yeah. It's easy when you have one. Yeah. Well, the twins, I honestly, like, I try really hard to remember the first, like, year and a half of their life. And no joke, I can't remember. I have to look at pictures to remember. Well, I was thinking that driving over here. I was like, I think I blocked, not even purposely, like, it was just a harder phase. And I can't remember details. With like Tatum. Any of the kids. Oh. Like, I just don't yeah. remember. I don't know why I can remember with Kate. And I think the twins, I was a whack dude. Wow. Yeah. Well, when you think of baby food, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Baby food? Mm-hmm. Gerber baby food, the plum flavor. Do you know, like, I liked that until I was, like, a teenager. What? I liked the plum <laughs> Is that weird? That's more than weird. I know. Like you would go to the store and buy baby food. I'd be like, Mom, can I get one of those? They're good. Like <laughs> like applesauce, but I liked the plum. And it's disgusting. I mean, had I known that, I would have brought you one today. Oh yeah. <laughs> a little frozen plum. I mean Add I a little gin to it. I mean that's that could work. Throw it in a smoothie. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking you might say the Gerber baby. I didn't know you were going to go down like you had a food that you liked, but good for <laughs> yeah. you. I think of that Gerber baby, like that chubby little face, the, you know, big shining eyes that like just stares at customers from those little jars and just makes you be like, buy me. I, you can trust me. I'm the trusted brand. And he's so cute. Like so perfect. You said he. Yeah. Okay. So did you know that Like, the Gerber baby has appeared on every single Gerber product since the 1900s. The 1900s? Mm -hmm. Wow. And the iconic face of America's most famous baby is actually a real person whose identity was kept secret for, like, 40 years. Wow. Did you have any idea? No. Crazy. And today, the Gerber baby is one of the most recognized consumer logos in the world. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. And... I remember vaguely, like you were kind of, like you were the mom who would make your own baby food. <laughs> and I was like, good luck. <laughs> I did. I would, on Sundays, I would just get that mixer out. And I'd be mixing all that shit, freeze it up, 
Did West. you really last the whole, like, did you never buy baby food? Never bought baby food. Oh my God. You're setting a horrible example well, for no, all of No, someone moms. bought me this, like, all these little container things. And you know me and my Tupperwares. I'm like, I think I was just excited to put shit in Tupperwares and, like, the jars, like, didn't go in my fridge. Like, it didn't look good. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, I was the mom who bought, went to Target and bought, like, the off-the-shelf baby food. <laughs> and I often chose Gerber because I was like, I know the brand. It's familiar. I think it's been around for a while. And I just trusted it. I'd buy those, like, little pouch things that yeah. they would suck on. I also know you made the pouches. I remember traveling with you, and I was like, what the fuck's in that little thing? And you're like, it's homemade baby food. I did. All, all the hippies. I had doing. the, like, little cake thing, and I'd squeeze it in there. Oh, my God. What a wacko. Well, I want to tell you about the Gerber baby. Okay. And, like, I want to go through how the initial, like, PR stunt was even created because it's definitely one of the OGs. Like, it's one of the first really big PR stunts. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so it all started in— like a casting call with like all these babies <laughs> lining up? No. That sounds horrible. That sounds like hell. Like the casting directors had to have earplugs oh and like Lord. be on Xanax. No, yeah, for sure. So, in 1928, there was a company that was called the Fremont Canning Company. And at the time, there was a guy named Dan Gerber who was working there because his father owned the company. And it was in Michigan at the time. And he, like, worked there his whole life and then moved his way up to assistant general manager. And then he got married. And he married this woman named Dorothy, who is a badass bitch, let me tell you. Okay. Okay. So, like, they had a new baby, and they were struggling. The baby's name was Sally, and she was, like, always unhealthy. And it's 1928, so you can't just, like, you know, WebMD that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's a situation. They were like, we don't know what this is. Like, yeah. You know. So they went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, you need to start feeding the baby strained foods. And Dorothy basically suggested to her husband that he persuade his father to start making and selling strained baby foods at the Fremont Canning Company because that's literally what they did for a living, you know? Actually, they didn't make baby food. No, they made like adult canned food. Mm. But actually, I'd be lying if I said it was that easy, like how she convinced her husband. The real story goes that like for months, Dorothy followed the doctor's advice and she was preparing her own baby food at home. She was peeling, she was steaming, she was scraping and straining and, like, all the foods. And, like, they didn't have all the tools that we have today. Remember that? And, like, she was going crazy. It was insanely hard. And, of course, like, one day her husband's actually home while she's attempting this. And she's, like, straining peas and there's peas fucking everywhere. Like, the kitchen's covered in peas. Oh, that's one thing. I never made peas. That's disgusting. It's gross. And so finally, her husband witnesses how challenging this process is. And he's like, I think you were right. I think I could try to make this at the factory. She's like, thank God. Like, listen to me. I know what's up. Yeah. So. Wait, why did they have to strain it? I'm confused. I'm assuming it's like the nutrients that the kids need because they can't have all of that. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm no baby food expert. I'm just going back to my, you know, homemade baby food days. Yeah, Trying to remember. So Dan brought the idea to his dad, and his dad was totally on board because, of course, the guy said it to the guy. Like, the yeah. wife saying it to the dad, he'd be like, you're hilarious. Get back in the kitchen <laughs> at that time. Yeah. So Dan brought the idea to his dad, and his dad was on board. And the first thing they did was prepare these, like, test packs for Dan's baby girl who was sick. And suddenly, like— 
Dan was bringing home the food to his daughter. She was eating it. And all the employees of the cannery were, like, asking about it for their babies because they were like, this seems cool. Yeah. And Dan and his father also did a ton of research into this new line of business because the concept was relatively new but not totally new. Like, the only way you could get strained baby food at the time was at a pharmacy and you had to have a prescription. And it cost 35 cents a can. Oh, my God. Which, and that's probably really expensive in 1928. In 1928, that's like $5.64 today. Probably not many people could afford it. No. So— they wanted to, like, be able to cut the price in half so, like, this kind of food could be accessible for almost everyone. So they contacted a ton of, like, nutritional experts, and they, you know, made sure they got it right because, like, you can't mess with babies. Like, yeah. you have to make sure it's okay for them. And so when they launched it, they started only with strained peas and, like, four other kinds of strained foods. And when it came to marketing, they knew they had to do something to stand out and build, like, trust for the brand because— it was going to be super tricky to break through, like, to Americans who forever had been taught, like, you feed the babies liquids only for the first year. Like, yeah. most people did not feed the babies any kinds of, like, blended or solid foods. So they also were concerned that, like, just moms would not even try it because they were so fearful. It was new, you know? Okay. So Dan decided to make a bold move, and he, like, dropped some major money in a really strategic advertising campaign. And he bought spots in Good Housekeeping, in Parents Magazine, and in a few others. And he, like, set out on this task to convince parents to, like, adopt his new style of feeding babies. And he did it by using his own personal story. Like, he was saying, I'm trying this myself on my daughter who's struggling, and it's really hard for me and my wife and, like, it's working, and now Sally's healthy, and you should try it, too. It was like a pull at the heartstrings, like, parent to parent. Like, yeah. we can do this message. And that's a great way to well, sell. it's like, again, everyone, when they create a great product, they're creating it because they have a need. Exactly. And then before the ads actually ran, he realized, like, yes, he had the message, but the brand and the packaging was still missing something. He wanted to find a way to capture the attention of moms. And he wanted them, like, when they went into the store, they would, like, see this baby food option. And they would be like, this is the perfect, healthy option for my child. Like, he wanted them to see their kid in it. Yeah. So he had an idea. And that idea was to launch a contest. So in 1928, like, later that year— he put out a call for a baby face that would best represent the new baby food, Gerber baby food. And the company specifically put out the call to artists because he wanted, I mean, there wasn't like, I don't even know how advanced photography was in 1928, yeah. but he just put it out to artists and he asked them to submit entries that would be featured on the label of his new baby food. And they received a ton of submissions. They were all mailed in, and a lot of them were, like, fancy oil paintings, like, really just intricate pieces of art. Okay. And then there were others that were just sketches. And they ended up choosing one that appeared to look like an unfinished charcoal sketch as the winner. Like, they just really vibed with this picture. And the winning artist was a woman by the name of Dorothy Hope Smith. And she lived next door to this woman, Leslie Turner, who had a super cute baby girl named Ann Turner Cook. So okay. actually, like when the contest launched in 1928, Ann was already two years old. But Dorothy had sketched her when she was four months old. 
So that was like an unfinished sketch that she just had sitting around from when she was four months old. So they're all living in like Connecticut at the time. And Dorothy mails the sketch in to the contest. And she writes a letter along with the sketch that says, if you pick me, I will finish the sketch. And Gerber loved the sketch. Like it was something about the way you can picture the baby. Like the mouth is hanging open. The eyes are like glistening. It's just black and white, like with a little tinge of like maybe blue in it. And they actually said, like, we don't want you to finish the sketch. We want it as it's like, no one's going to touch it. The first ads that ran launching the baby food and featuring the Gerber baby also featured a coupon because duh, that usually works with moms. And the coupon offered mothers six cans of new baby food for just $1, which that's like, I think 12 cents a can or something like that. So they were really undercutting the competition. Yeah. And just days after that first ad appeared, dollar bills literally began pouring into the Fremont Canning Company. People were buying it like crazy. And that was like not national at that point. Yeah. It was just pretty local. So within six months, the baby food was on store shelves in most major markets in the U.S. And Dan's dad was shocked. He did not expect, I mean, they had this canning company that was making adult canned food. Food, He thought this was like going to be a side project. But after the first year of selling baby food, gross sales were at $345,000 one year in 1928. Today, just take a guess how much that would be. How much that would be? Mm -hmm. Like in today's money. Mm, Close to a million? Five million six hundred and like twenty thousand. Oh my God! Year one, <laughs> first for a year, test product, just one line of business. Like wow, crazy. And because sales were doing so well, even the Great Depression, which happened like basically right after this launched, didn't even slow down food sales for Gerber. Crazy. Well, it's probably like they. It was a staple. Like we have to have baby food. Now. Yeah, it was more of like a necessity than like a want. And so it actually, the brand expanded its baby food lines during the 1930s. And then by 1941, the Fremont Canning Company was selling more baby food than adult food. And Gerber and his father officially changed the name of the whole company to Gerber Products Company. And they started selling baby food worldwide. And didn't do canning anymore. They did, but they eventually totally killed it. Like, actually, I read something that, like, in the 1970s, they tried to bring back single-serve adult baby food targeted to, like, college students. I mean, it lasted for a year. And they were like, this was the worst idea we've literally ever had. That's horrible. So gross. But the Gerber baby logo was actually trademarked in 1931. And that original sketch that was done by the artist— sits like at their corporate headquarters still today, like protected. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And it actually has become the essence of who Gerber is as a company. Like one Gerber exec was quoted saying, it's the epitome of a happy, healthy baby and the symbol of trust we have with parents. Like it's everything to our company. Like that face is really what gave this company the trust of moms. And they do more than food now. Now they they do do so so many other things. And actually, I thought this was cool. In 1938, Gerber hired his daughter, 10-year-old Sally, who was like the sick baby who started it all. Yeah. And she was answering every single letter that came in from customers. She would write back. She was like their whole customer relations team at 10 years old. And she did this for years. 
Oh my God, how cool. And then like she ended up working for the company and becoming like a senior VP and probably like doing great things. And that's even cooler because customers are getting letters back from the girl who was the inspiration who was sick and now is healthy. And it yeah. like helps further that story, that that's brand narrative. So, cool. mm-hmm. so I teased this at the top of the episode, but Gerber did keep the identity of the real Gerber baby a secret for 40 years. But they were really strategic about why and then how they utilized that. So like during that time when it was a secret, there was actually like a poll, like a public poll of the United States. And people were guessing who the Gerber baby was because there was always rumors of who it was. And everyone assumed that it was someone super famous. They thought like Humphrey Bogart was like the number one rumor at, to the point that like Humphrey Bogart had to like write a letter and like, make a public proclamation that he was not the Gerber baby. Oh my God. They also thought it might be Senator Bob Dole because he was born like around that time. (laughs) And then someone else thought like Elizabeth Taylor because she was like, had those big eyes. And then Jane Seymour was like a big one too. But it was nobody famous. It was just a baby. But everyone was talking about it and wondering. And it was a girl. It was a girl. And the other reason to that point of why they didn't release who it was is because they felt that if they said it was a girl or a boy, it would alienate half the population. And they wanted moms to see their baby as the Gerber baby. So it was really genderless. Yeah, that's cool because, I mean, all babies look like a boy or a girl yeah. when they're born. Like, <laughs> I had to put bows on my kids. Like, like, are you a boy or a girl? <laughs> I hated that. God, we have some friends who let their kids' hair, like boys' hair, grow really long. And then, like, this one friend that I had let her boy's hair grow as long as her girl's hair. And then she would get pissed at people for calling him a girl. And I'm like, it's your fucking fault. Cut his hair. Did they say they were twins or no? They were like, no, they were like different ages, but like you can't get mad if you chose that path. I know. Zinn's hair was like so to his shoulders and he'd wear a headband and he went with his grandma on vacation and he, everyone would say, what, what's your granddaughter's name? Ugh. And he was so pissed and it's like, and he came back and told his dad, take me, cut my hair. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't like long hair on boys. Either do I. Never have, never will. I mean, some I think is cute, but not really. No. And this new mullet look that's in like The mullet look is bad. I've seen a lot of mullets recently. It's like a mohawk mullet. It's bad. It's even worse. (laughs) Do you think it's extra bad because we live in Arizona just because people like really just let it all fly? Like they're like, we can just be our- They're like the (sighs) off-road river people. Totally. I mean, I want to be, last weekend I was on the boat. I'm like, I'm going to be a river person. But but just don't get a a mullet, please. No. Okay. Well, the actual Gerber baby, like I said, her, her name was Ann Cook. And she actually knew that she was the iconic baby on the jars since she was three. And she just kept it to herself. Like her mom knew, of course, and her like husband that she ended up marrying knew, maybe some friends, but like she never made it a thing for a while. So like she lived a normal life, she got married, she became a teacher. And then in 1951, she was, I think in like her late twenties or maybe 30, she was finally compensated from Gerber for the very first time. (laughs) <laughs> Your mouth is like that wide open. long. That it took that long. I don't really know why. I know that the artist Dorothy immediately won three hundred dollars, and she had to sign over the rights to the photograph oh, okay. or to the the um, sketch to Gerber. 
but Anne was paid for the first time in 1951. And she was only really paid, because I think, because another person came forward claiming to be the Gerber baby. And like there was a lawsuit and Anne had to testify that it was her and her mom and like the artist had to. And so then they probably were like, we should probably give her some money. Yeah. So they gave her $5,000, which that was like a lot to her in 1951. Because she was, like, struggling with her husband. Like, they didn't have a lot. She was a teacher. So she was able to buy her first car and make a down payment on, like, a really modest home. Wow. I know. But I was kind of bummed that, like, they didn't pay her until then. And they should pay her, like, to be the spokesperson now. Right? Well, she passed away this year. Oh. At 95. Like, what oh, a life. 95. What wow. a life. Gerber finally revealed Anne's identity as the Gerber baby in 1978 for, like, the 50th anniversary of the first Gerber baby. And at this time, there was only one. They weren't doing any other, like, annual searches like like you might know that they do today. And fun fact, like, Anne actually went on to become a novelist, and she wrote mysteries. And she admitted that, like, the only time she really exploited her being the Gerber baby was when she would be selling a book, like, doing book signings or, like— speaking or like doing videos for social because they're like like, get it by the Gerber baby and and like every like it would like 10x her sales every single time which is smart smart but so weird like why would you who cares if you were the Gerber baby why would I buy your book I mean I think I would have show up (laughs) I would be more intrigued if I was like that's so random yeah I mean good for her good for her And in 2010, Gerber marketing execs saw an opportunity to reignite a new search for the Gerber baby. This time, the baby, like, wouldn't replace the iconic sketch that, like, was already on all the products or anything. It would just be, like, this annual search for what they called the Gerber generation. And it was a marketing campaign. And, like, they would then use this baby, every baby, every new year, as, like, the face in all of the ads. But, like, Anne's face still remained on the packaging, like— Forever, like today, it even still does. And the winner of the first year's search earned 25 grand, and her name was Mercy Townsend. And then as of today in 2022, like like I said, there's been a new search for like a new Gerber baby every year, and prizes have varied from either 25K to 50K. Some are scholarships, some are cash. It just totally depends. In 2018, actually, Gerber made international headlines for selecting the first Gerber baby with Down syndrome. Oh, wow. Yep. And then in 2020, it selected its first adopted baby. And then this year, in 2022, it picked a little cute girl named Issa Slish, and she was selected as the first baby to have a limb difference. Like, she was born without a femur or a fibula in her right leg. And so they paid her 25 grand and they matched the prize to the March of Dimes and they paid, like donated 25 grand to them. Oh, wow. I know. It's pretty cool. And like really the most- So what does a Gerber baby have to do? Oh, great question, Alexis. (laughs) If you want to apply to be the next Gerber baby, or not you, that would be weird. Well, I don't have a baby, so. (laughs) I mean, you never know. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, Gerber looks for newborns through children up to age four and they- want you to have a playful smile that can light up a room. Parents are asked to like share pictures and videos of their babies, like smiling and giggling so we can see them in action. And job responsibilities include eating tasty baby food products, serving as the adorable face of the company, and appearing on Gerber's social media platforms and in marketing campaigns throughout the year. No corporate experience is required for the Gerber baby, thank goodness. 
They've actually started naming the baby the chief growing officer. Okay. And they have to come with a belly full of giggles and have a passion for being the center of attention and demonstrate an irresistibly fun and expressive personality. Nice. That's a long list of requirements. And so they only get 25 grand for that? Yeah, some years 50 grand, yeah. I don't know why, where the rhyme or reason is to the yeah. money, but yeah. Um, well, whatever, that's college what, it, or like some money for college. Uh, it's definitely not full college. <laughs> that is like uh, maybe Wait, a week. A week, <laughs> like a, maybe like half a semester, depending on where you go. State yeah. school, probably. But you know what's the most brilliant about this campaign, Lex? What? Gerber turns that contestant like each year into a brand advocate and like they get all these entries and they gather so much personal information that they use for future marketing and like product launches and all of these like ways to target. And then they also like create this level of virality through this campaign. It really builds excitement in this like parent community that they're the ones who are buying the product. Yeah, that's like It makes brilliant. them feel loyal to the brand. And of course, every single year when Gerber announces this annual search, every media outlet covers when they start the search and who they select. There's pages and pages for every year. Like you can't type in Gerber and not see all the press I mean, coverage. Wow. Like it's, it's everywhere. So that's, even since like the, I mean, 1928, like it was a big deal then and written up a ton then. Yeah, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So in 2007, Gerber was sold to Nestle for guess how much money? Oh my God, a billion. 5.5 billion. 5.5 billion. No, not just a billion. Not just one billion. And today Gerber is recognized as the world's largest baby food manufacturer. And they have sales that exceed $1 billion. And they're also like one of the most trusted brands in the world. I just want to know how you like all this, all these brands would, how do you go international and you're everywhere? I mean, they gained trust so early. And I'm telling you, like, this is the reason. Like, putting that face and humanizing the product and using Dan's personal narrative to sell this food and, like, get people to trust was the freaking smartest tactic. Smart. Like, I don't know if it would work the same today, but, like, it built that brand equity from, like, day one in the 20s. And, like, it would take a lot to crush that today. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the original line of five products that were created, like, has obviously grown to 220 products. And like you mentioned earlier, they now have over 300 baby care items as well, like not just food. Like they're pretty much, they own the baby space, I would argue. Of course. Yeah. Like they own, I mean, Gerber has, who else? Huggies? They're like a diaper brand. Yeah. They don't have like food. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think, Lex? Will it stick? It's going to stick. It is especially sticker. for people like you who can't make their own baby food. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to set realistic expectations, you know, for other women out there, Alexis. But let me think a few of my sources. The Gerber website has a really great just like history of all of this. It's just gerber.com. Also, Wikipedia for the Gerber baby has like the whole story. There was an article on the list.com that was the untold truth of the Gerber baby. And then the New York Times had a great article about Ann Turner, who was the original Gerber baby when she passed away just earlier this year. Brilliant. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And please follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know, anywhere. Anywhere. And follow us on Instagram. And please, please, please drop us a note on what you want to hear. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.